every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Please be seated. In conjunction with God's word being foundationally true for us, the psalmist in Psalm 119 write, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established it on the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day, as he's writing this, according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. All of what? All of the earth are in service and subjection to God. Everything on this earth, because God's rule on this earth is sovereign. It doesn't matter what geographic location you live in, God reigns there. It doesn't matter if you live in the greatest country in the world, whichever one is your home country, that's what you think, isn't it? God rules there. It doesn't matter if you live in any of the 50 great states that make up our nation. God still rules there. It doesn't matter if you live in a communist nation or a nation in, that will, will not acknowledge God. He still rules in those nations. We live in times that are uncertain. We live in times that are filled with turmoil. As a matter of fact, if you were where I was this weekend, you would think this. If our upcoming election goes one way or the other, the entire world will spin off its axis and everyone uh, will die a horrible death on that Wednesday. My mother is enamored with the election. And I just said, bless your heart. You know why? I have an opinion of who I would like to elect. And I will make that opinion known where it should be. And even if Satan himself is elected into the office of the President of the United States of America, God is still sovereign. The end. God is still in control. Now, do I want an election to go one way or another? Sure. Uh, but it's not such a bad thing that I have turmoil about it. There is terrorism uh, that is always knocking at our door. We went to sleep on September the 10th of 2001 thinking everything was okay, didn't we? Mm -hmm. We'll go to sleep tonight thinking that. You know, there's worry, there's anxiety, there's problems. They're always around us. And all of those things are constantly highlighted by the news and the media, how awful things are. Do you know when the last time was I watched the news? Before this past weekend? I don't want to watch things that are terrible. There has to be some good news, right? Somewhere? We try to live in a world and we try to cope with the things that are around us and, and it can be overwhelming. 
It can be overwhelming when we forget about the sovereignty of God. When we forget about who God is and on which throne he sits, sometimes we fear for our future. Sometimes we look at those things and, and we wonder about our well-being. I need you to know and understand completely that God has been and always will be in control. You know, as God would write in his book, he will write this about himself. Be still and know that I am God. Take a moment, God would say, take a breath, regain your composure, and understand I'm still sitting upon the throne of the circle of the earth. Let's define sovereign. Sovereign is a noun that means supreme or ultimate authority. If you'd like some words to go along with that, it would be preeminent or indisputable. Greatest in degree. This is God. Being above all in character or in importance or in excellence. Being efficacious. You like that word? That's a fun word to say. You know what that means? Supreme or ultimate authority. I just like the word efficacious, and I wanted to get it in on a slide somewhere. So there you go. Being potent. We sing about the potentate. This is the, the uh, description of the one who is potent, the one who is, who is um, in charge of all. This is God. He has supreme and ultimate authority over all port parts of my life. Yes. Over all parts of your life. Yes. But that's not where it stops. You see, what we think about God is that God is the ruler and has all authority over me. <laughs> God has all authority all over everyone. Even those who will not follow, even those who will not even consider him as a being, he still reigns supreme. Now try to wrap your mind around that for just a moment. That's crazy. The ones who would not recognize him, the ones who will not see his authority, the ones who will not subject themselves to his authority, he's still in authority. He's sovereign over all. As we look at God in the Old Testament, you can see him in his sovereign nature declare that the nations that are around Israel and Israel itself are going to be judged by him. When you look in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 13 and verse number 17, God uses uh, 13, 17 through 20, God uses the Medo Persian Empire to overthrow Babylon. We see also there in uh, Isaiah 10, verses 5 through 15, that God uses these different nations like, like tools. He's going to use them to, to punish these nations and never let one of them slip. He's never going to let one go unpunished. He's going to start with Babylon in Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, move on in chapter 14 to Assyria and Philistia. In Isaiah 15 and 16, he's going to move to Moab. In chapter 17, he'll go to Damascus. In chapter 18, he'll, he'll uh, punish Ethiopia and Cush. In chapter 19, uh, Egypt. In chapter 21, Edom and Arabia. In chapter 22 now, he focuses his attention back to Jerusalem. In chapter 23, Tyre. 
And all of these prophetic judgments passed on these people came to pass, as would be told to us in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. What does that have to do with us? Who cares? We don't live in that area. We don't live where those people live. We don't even live in the time that they live. Who cares? I need you to understand, as you and I read through these, these uh, nations that are being punished by God, that he said they would, and he showed his control over those things. God has all control, as we see in the book of Isaiah. But what about Daniel? You remember those dreams that happened in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, before Daniel even offers an explanation of those dreams? You know what he does? He doesn't say, watch out, wait, let me show you how good I am. Let me show you what I'm about to do. Daniel doesn't say, I'm about to tell you what these dreams mean. What Daniel starts with in Daniel chapter 19, or chapter 2, verses 19, 20, and 21 is giving praise to God who will give the answer of those dreams. Daniel doesn't say it's because of me. Daniel says, listen to what God has to say. And he says there's going to be a, a rise and a fall of, of, of four different nations, doesn't he? of the ones we know as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And he shows them in that statue. He shows them rise. He shows them fall. Look back in your history book and see if they don't rise and fall just the way God said they would. Is God in control when those nations rose and fall? Let me ask you this. Was God in control when... We had opportunity to break away. We, as the United States, had an opportunity to break away from England. Oh, yeah. Is he in control today? Oh, yeah. He absolutely is. In Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel being a protector, or God, rather, being a protector of Daniel, who was found guilty by the law of the land. What was he guilty of? Praying. Praying three times a day, which was his custom, which was his habit. Praying to God is why God had to protect him. As a matter of fact, what you'll read in Daniel chapter 6 is those lions never opened their mouth toward him. But an interesting fact happened in the morning when they kicked those other guys in that hole. Those bodies were devoured before they hit the ground. Now stop and think for a moment. Did those lions just get that hungry overnight? They just weren't hungry when, when Daniel was put in there. Oh, no. God, who was in control, was his protector. In Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 7 and chapter 11, we'll see God riding on the wall telling uh, the, the Babylonians through Daniel, your time is just about up. And God writing these things to them continually lets them know that he is in charge. It is, it is one of, I guess, my favorite verses found in the book of Daniel, chapter 4 and verse number 25, especially as you, you go and you consider that particular verse and the sovereignty of God as he would say, I will place in charge of those nations whomever I will. 
Now you stop and think about that for a moment. Our officials that we have, God has set in order. For what? I don't know. I do know this. Because they are set in order by God, I should adopt the attitude David had toward Saul. Remember the, the scuttle they had? You know, Saul didn't really like David. I don't know if you know that or not. When someone throws a javelin at your head, they don't like you. Every time David was met with Saul, David would say this, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Notice what he's saying there. I have respect for the man because of the position God put him in. Here we see Daniel. And we see God in control. The rule of, of God is not only directly stated in books like Isaiah and Daniel. It's also implied. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 34. A righteous nation is exalted, but a sinful nation is disgraced. Well, which nation, which righteous nation, which sinful nation? All of them. It's a principle God would have us live by. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10 would, would confirm that idea that his rule is not only overstated throughout the Old Testament, but it's implied. Notice this. Babylon's punished for the treatment of their subjects. And they were treated awfully. That's Isaiah chapter 10. Other pagan nations that were listed by Amos were listed in chapters 1 and 2, and they were just um, summarily punished just as God would. And then he gets in chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 in the book of Amos, he gets down to uh, Israel and Judah. The children of Abraham need to be punished. Not God's children, they're, they're lovely. They don't ever have to be punished, do they? How many of you have children? Do you love them? Oh, yeah. We sure do. They ever have to be punished? <laughs> For some of you, not now because they're a little older. Okay. Did they ever have to be? Did you love them less because you had to punish them? God would say, I'm not loving you less because I'm punishing you. I'm trying to get you back on the right path. And it's interesting to me, as the nation of Israel comes out of Babylonian captivity back with Nehemiah to rebuild the wall and with Ezra to rebuild the temple and all those things, you know, from that point in time, they never had a problem with, pagan, with, uh, with idolatrous worship. <laughs> they got cured of that one, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Punishment's not a bad thing, but God is in control. We flip over into the New Testament, we find that, that God is in control. We see Christ, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, being told, or we're being told of the coming Christ, that he will have uh, a, a, a government that will rest upon his shoulders. In Daniel chapter 2, we're told about that government, when it's going to take place. In Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33, we see that thing happen just as God would say. In the right time, in the right place, with the right people, for the right reason. Was God in control? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. All of those prophecies that are made mentioned uh, back in the Old Testament as they're coming true within the New Testament simply prove time and time and time again the sovereignty of God. God will continue to be in control. I know I've made this statement to you before, but let me make it to you one more time. Have you ever considered that God has never considered anything? <laughs> has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? How many of you have ever had to tackle a problem and perhaps you said, we're going to go this way and see if it works, and if not, this is plan B. Anybody ever do that? Am I alone here? Okay, me and Scott, all right. Scott, do you ever have to go to plan B? Yeah. You know, God never has. Not never has had to go to plan B, has never had a plan B. Because plan A always works because God is still in control. You see the sovereignty of God by, his, by Jesus' apostles. They are given authority to establish the church in the fashion God would have it in the place God would have it, and they do those things. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verses, 19 through, or verses 18 through 20, Jesus tells those disciples, I want you to go make more disciples, and you make them this way, and I want you to tell them to teach others also. You find that in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2 also. I want you to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples in perpetuity until... Uh, October of 2020. You see that directive being followed in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 and 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 and Revelation 1 and verse 5, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 24 through 26. You see the church moving and following after what God's orders were for it because God is still in control. Look over, if you will, in your Bible to Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as his child, differeth nothing from the servant, though he be lord of all, but is under the tutors and governors until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, we were under bondage to the elements of the world. But, notice this transition. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. We may look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We may look at it very flippantly sometimes and say, well, uh, you know, that's about God's timing and His timing's always right. And that's true. But let me beg you to look more at verse number 5 and 3 than you do at verse 4 for a moment. At verse 3, you're going to see the change, but we, 
We who? We who have put on Christ, we have, who have been adopted into the family of God, verse number five. See, this idea of the church and the family of God, while some religious bodies would tell you this is just an afterthought of God, is a lie. This is the plan for which God has to save man, and this is the plan. According to Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, this is under the saving of man, and this is the power. God is in control, and his plan still works, whether it be to the punishing or rewarding of a nation, whether it be to the saving of a person. God's plan always works. Now, I'm going to pull back the curtain of the Hayes household for you for just a moment. There was an old uh, saying about living in glass houses and you ought not throw rocks. Sometimes you live in a glass house, people see right through it, don't they? I'm going to pull that curtain back a little bit and let you look inside the house. There will be some times in which uh, there will be teachable moments in your house, won't there? And something will happen either in society or perhaps in your extended family to where you have to call your children up and go, Now listen here, y'all have seen what's been happening and you know that's not right. And the lovely Miss Brandy will conclude those statements with this one statement. And I believe it may be, I wish I'd come up with it because I think it's, it's a great statement. And it's, it's understated, but it should be understood. When things are not done God's way, there will be problems. Now, did you hear that? Listen to that. Listen to that wisdom that's found within that statement. When things are not done God's way, when I know more than God, when I have taken him off of that sovereign throne and I put myself there, it doesn't go right. Imagine that. God, being in control, knows what the plan should be. Imagine that whether it be to the saving of mankind, whether it be to, to exalt or, or punish a nation, God has one plan and there are no ifs or ands or buts. Now notice this last statement that you see on the screen. When you and I begin to understand that, then we will begin, keep that word in mind, we'll begin to understand Him. When we begin to understand His sovereign rule over everything and not just my life, we'll begin to understand Him. Isn't that what we want to do? Don't I want to understand who he is and, and what he does? Oh, absolutely. What should I learn from this? Here you go. Here's what you should learn. You and I serve the King of Kings, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 15. And Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 14. There's no greater king. There's no other king. So with him being the king, 
we should do what he says. Please understand this. Nothing, including governments, exists without the approval of God. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Nothing. That's the key word. Nothing. Nothing exists without the approval of God. And Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 14, God has concern over it all. His, his concern is over all the world. Is he worried about, uh, or is he concerned about our upcoming election? Yes. Is he concerned about what's happening in the Middle East right now? Yes. Is he concerned about what's happening in, in the Asian countries right now? Yes. God has concern over it all. The best thing I can do is this, spread the good news of Jesus the Christ. That's the best thing I can do. As a matter of fact, that's the best thing that you can do. Why? Because we live in that, in, in that society, or rather, in that uh, citizenship that is of the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12. That's where our citizenship is, so why would I not try to spread the borders of that kingdom? Best thing I can do also, according to Luke chapter 18, verse 7 and 8, is pray. Pray fervently, pray feverishly to the one who sits on that throne. There's an old saying back home is that I need to pray like it all depends on God. And notice this, and work like it all depends on me. <laughs> now we got something. If I pray like it all depends on God and I, I bring to him every single thing that I have in my life that may be a worry or a concern in my, in my life and I do everything I can do to work uh, for him here, everything's going to turn out just fine. And that reference should be John chapter 9 and verse number 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Jesus would say that and he'd give you the reason right here. For the night cometh when no man can work. Even Jesus in John chapter 9 will say this, i got to work while I can because I'm eventually going to die. And the best thing I can do is also remember who gives me my strength. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. And I know we have just misused that all over our society to decide that if I play basketball in the name of Jesus, I'll be able to dunk. That ain't true. That doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of the realm of the kingdom of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me within the kingdom of God. I can establish this. I can preach. I can do all these things, all these things that matter. You know, I can go to heaven without ever dunking a basketball or catching a football. You know, I can do that. That's good because I can't do much either one of those. We have to remember who gives us our strength. We need to remember who's in control. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we think that we're in control of this. When in fact, God sits upon the very circle of the earth. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 22, and the lesson will be yours. It's he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. And he stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain. And spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. You know, when we have an opportunity and we go camping, we take our own tent. We've got one you can pop up and put down 
in 60 seconds, and I thought that was a lie till we did it the first time, and I thought, wow, that's really convenient. And it folds up, and it's about this big around, and a six-man tent that's about this long. And I can manipulate that tent any way I want to. And you can do the very same thing with yours, can't you? And God would say that the heavens, <laughs> He can manipulate like a tent. All those things that we see grandiose fashion, uh, God's handiwork all in, and we should. God would say, all of those things I can manipulate and have it do exactly what I want it to do. Because, because I am in control. Before we get too bent out of shape about the things in our life, we must remember God is in control. And when I realize and understand that God is in control, then I look at myself and say, is God in control of me? Have I been obedient to Him because of His sovereign nature? If I haven't heard what he has to say and believe it, if I haven't repented of my sin or confessed that Jesus is the Christ, if I haven't been baptized in water for the remission of my sins, I have not followed his sovereign plan. But the good news is this. The good news is in just a moment you can. In just a moment you can do all of those things and be pleasing to God might be the fact that you have done those things, and yet as you look at your life, you say, I don't know that this would be pleasing to God. I don't know if this part of my life would be. And brother or sister, let me tell you this. Don't second-guess those things. Just change it. Just change it and come back home. You know that we love you. You know that God loves you. Come on back home. We've been missing you. Do those things right now while we stand and while we sing for your encouragement. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you all?